this person said, you have no right to run for office. You belong at home with your kids. That was it. You have no right to run. I'm like, wow. Yes, I do. (laughs) In episode two of State Street, we talked about how the Utah legislature doesn't look like the state's population when it comes to race, gender, religion, and party affiliation. The legislature is a lot more white, male, Mormon, and Republican than Utah as a whole. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. On today's episode, we're going to try to answer the question, who gets to be a politician and why? We'll meet one person who's trying to make her city council look more like her community, and another who has some insight on why our legislature is so monolithic. Before we get to Capitol Hill, let's take a trip up to Weber County, to the back patio of a historic Victorian home in mid-September. The sun was setting and it was just gorgeous. My name is Priscilla Martinez. I'm running for Ogden City Council, District 3. If you need to know, I'm in my early 30s. <laughs> this was a campaign fundraiser Priscilla put on with another woman who's also running for Ogden City Council. Priscilla does not have a lot of big donors, so events like this are really important for her campaign. We knocked doors, we sent mailers, we text messaged, we did phone calls, and it really, really showed when it came to the primary. The primary was in August, and it narrowed the candidate field from three to two. This is a nonpartisan race because it's a municipal election. And now Priscilla is preparing for the general election where she'll face off against a guy named Ken Ritchie. Sonia, most people, or, you know, like most women anyway, don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to run for office today. You know, like as you're rolling out of bed, that thought doesn't cross your mind. So <laughs> It certainly has never crossed my mind. <laughs> Same. So where did this all come from? Like, why does Priscilla want to be on the city council? Priscilla's been really engaged in her community for a while. She used to be a caseworker with the state's Division of Child and Family Services. Then she started doing outreach with the Ogden Weber Technical College. And most recently, she was chair of the Ogden Diversity Commission. Priscilla told me the story of how she decided to run for city council. It was actually when she was walking through the Ogden Municipal Building on her way to a diversity commission meeting. I was walking with my colleague Viviana at that time and we were going up the stairs and I noticed on the wall there was like a lot of frames and they were all white males who were appointed mayor, I believe, and I turned to Viviana and I said, well, wouldn't it be nice if we finally had a Latina run for city council, a woman or just a woman of color? And then Viviana said something to Priscilla that really sparked something in her. She said, well, why can't you? And so at that moment, I didn't realize that I could potentially run for a seat. So it was that turning point for me that someone believed in me, believed that I could do this. Oh, man, Sonia, we all need a Viviana in I know, our lives. I'm like clutching my heart right now. It's so heartwarming. <laughs> I love that so much. But let's take a look who's on the city council in Ogden right now. Who is there? The council has seven members and five of them are men and six of them are white. Just think about this for a second. Six of them are white, and about one in three people in the city are Latino or Hispanic. 
but just one council member out of seven is. And two of the seven members are women, but women make up about half the population. There's just a lot of voices being left behind. And I want to elevate those voices and decided to throw my hat in the ring. Priscilla says it's not just a lack of diversity on the city council. She says there also just isn't enough diversity among the people who show up to public meetings, like this one that she went to a year or two ago. They were having a meeting and prioritizing of all these changes that were going to happen in Ogden. It was being held in this big room at Union Station in Ogden, which is this very iconic old building with a red-tiled roof and these really cool arched windows. And they had pictures of where you wanted to prioritize. And they gave you stickers, and you put a sticker on where you wanted your voice to be counted more. These were really important things like parks, housing density. I walked in, looked around the room, and it was usually the same people that were making the decisions. And those that were going to be affected by the changes were not in the room. And so I walked out of there with a pit in my stomach. Priscilla thinks that if she were in office, she would put in a lot of effort to reach out to her community and get them to come to these kinds of events. So it was these things that really inspired Priscilla to run. Mm -hmm. It sounds like representation is really important to her. But what's it been like for her to campaign? What kind of barriers has she come up against? Some of it is just people believing that being her authentic self won't get her elected. When Priscilla was first thinking about running, you know, right after she had that aha moment at the municipal building with her friend Viviana, she wasn't just full steam ahead. She still had a lot of doubts and fears about running for office as a young woman of color. I think there was some nerves, some adrenaline mixed with almost wanting to, how would you say, with lack of a better word, crawl into a ball almost. <laughs> I think I was really afraid of what was going to be out there when I started running. And then also, could I do this? Because it takes a lot of your time, especially as a woman, I think as a woman of color, how were people going to perceive me when I finally ran and announced? Priscilla says her family and other people she knew in the political sphere really cheered her on they got her to move beyond those fears and actually run. But there were some people that didn't show her that same support. When we started our campaign, I had taken my pictures and we were trying to figure out what was going to be the it picture for the website, for the campaign. Priscilla sent a few of them around to her friends and her family to help her decide which one to pick. With that came individuals who, which I'm pretty sure they meant good and wanted to help. In reality, they said, maybe you shouldn't pose that way. You shouldn't fold your arms because you might be perceived as too strong. Voters don't like that, and they don't like strong women. And to come out of that meeting and say, wow, are we going to have to redo these pictures? Does this individual have a point? And so you start thinking about that. You start questioning yourself. I got to tell you, Sonia, that makes me really mad. <laughs> it makes me really mad, too. I know that that would never happen to a man. And I also want to know, why wouldn't people like strong women as their elected officials and their leaders? So anyway, what photos did they end up choosing? 
Priscilla ended up saying, screw that. And she stuck with a photo that she liked with her arms crossed. When I brought it back, we said, no, let's go ahead and just do it. Let's go ahead and publish it. It's what feels right. feels right to me. feels authentic. Arms crossed and everything. Yeah, arms crossed and you everything. Go, Priscilla. <laughs> and, you know, that decision really set the tone for the rest of her campaign. Priscilla says a lot of people didn't believe in that approach of being as authentic as possible because she's a young woman of color running against a white man. We knew we were going to work twice as hard because I'm a woman and a woman of color. And again, it goes back to they underestimate the potential that we have. So, Sonia, you visited Priscilla at her fundraising event in Ogden. Obviously, you need money to run a campaign. It doesn't just happen, you know. Mailers and text messages and, like, buying pizza for volunteers, all of that adds up. Yeah, it really does. Actually, one of Priscilla's opponents started off his campaign by donating about $3,000 of his own money to it. So he had a pretty good head start. I knew that I didn't have the financial means to run such a campaign. So Priscilla got a lot of people to donate pretty small amounts on the whole. By the primary election in August, she had actually outraised that opponent by about $1,000. It was amazing to see so many community members donate to my campaign. So money and people not believing in her and these sorts of things, they made it harder for her to run this campaign. You know, there were barriers that she needed to overcome with her campaign photos and fundraising, right? Absolutely. But she did it. She won her primary election by two votes. Wow. Can you believe that? <laughs> it just goes to show that every vote counts. I know that's such a cliche, but it's a cliche it's for a reason. <laughs> and winning the primary was just the first hurdle, though. She has to face off against the second place winner in November, that same opponent we just mentioned who donated a lot of his own money to his campaign. Ken Ritchie, just as a little bit of background, is a certified financial planner with New York Life Insurance. He's also volunteered with a bunch of different organizations including the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, the Ogden Weber Chamber of Commerce, and also the Sons of Utah Pioneers. But even though Priscilla was putting in all this work before the primary, you know, knocking doors, sending out mailers, raising all this money, some people didn't think she could pull it off. Well, after the primaries, I had a interesting phone call with someone that who supports my campaign and the individual said, you know, I, I support you and I have your campaign sign, but I really didn't think people were actually going to vote for you. And what this individual specifically said was, well, you were running against a man and you were running against a white man. So I wasn't sure if people were going to vote for you. When I talked to Priscilla about this, she kind of brushed it off and said she always knew it was going to be tough. I knew that I was going to prove some people wrong. And I did after the primaries I did. So I knew that it was possible. This kind of experience doesn't just happen for newcomers like Priscilla. After a quick break, we'll hear from a woman who made it to the legislature and is now working to get more women elected to office. So she has lots of thoughts about why there's such a lack of diversity in politics. You're listening to State Street. KUER is proud to be a listener-supported public radio station. We'd like to thank our community of more than 10,000 sustainers who make a monthly contribution to the station, starting at just $5 a month. Because of your support, all the news, stories, and conversations that you hear are independent, calm, and commercial-free. 
If something you heard on KUER made a difference to you recently, become a new sustainer or increase your existing pledge at KUER.org slash donate. You're listening to State Street. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. We just heard from a city council candidate who's trying to diversify politics in Ogden. And there are also efforts to get different types of people in the state legislature. Which, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, does not reflect the demographics of the state as a whole. Sonia, I asked Holly Richardson about this. She's a Republican, a former state legislator, and she's been involved in Utah politics in some way or another for the last 20 years. If you were to think of the legislature as a single person, who would they be? Well, bless their heart, they would be a white Republican man who was LDS and probably involved in real estate. Holly's not just, like, making this up, Sonia. She was a state house representative for Utah County from 2011 to 2012. She was appointed by Governor Gary Herbert after the Utah County Republican Party elected her to fill a seat. And Holly came in mid-session, so she got a special introduction. Some of you were uh, in the chambers earlier, but we swore in our newest member of the House this morning, Representative Holly Richardson. Feel free to wander over during floor time if you have some time and welcome her to the body. She's going to be a great addition. Holly is no longer in the legislature, but she's really passionate about getting more women elected to state office and just office in general. Holly's on the board of Real Women Run, which is a nonpartisan organization run by the YWCA that trains women how to run for office. Why does Holly think there are so few women in the legislature? Well, Sonia, there are several reasons. It's more complicated than we thought. Who would have guessed? That's kind of been a theme of State Street this season. Definitely. The first reason is men are just asked more than women. Those are the types of people who are being asked to run by maybe a lobbying organizations or professional organizations who are saying, hey, I think you could, you know, really make a difference on the Hill. I think you could represent our interests and we'll help you run. There are very few women being recruited like that. The second reason is women don't have those same kinds of networks of support that men do. The lobbying organizations that recruited those men in the first place have a lot of tools for candidates. They have this process that they can just pull out and say, "Okay, here's your data. Here's where you need to go for signs. Here's what you need to do for your logo. You know, and they just help. It's like a campaign in a box. Well, wait. Okay, so we talked earlier about how Holly works with Real Women Run, which is a program that helps women run for office. I mean, isn't that a way that women have support? Yeah, in a way. Holly says that it certainly helps these candidates and aspiring candidates. But what Real Women Run provides is really just like an overview. Like, here are the basics of what you need to know to run for office, not Here are all the resources, and also let me hold your hand all the way to the finish line. Gotcha, gotcha. Very different type of support. I get it. All right, Emily, you said there were three reasons. What is Holly's other reason for the lack of diversity in the legislature? Well, there are cultural reasons that some women think maybe they shouldn't even run in the first place. Women, we have a lot stronger tendency to say, I really have to know my stuff. I really have to know everything. And that's simply not possible. There's a lot of that, I don't know enough. And then there's some of, I'm not ready, but maybe down the road, which is a procrastination tactic, which is fear-based. 
And then when women do overcome that self-doubt, Holly says they're met with a lot of the same cultural ideas when they're out on the campaign trail. And this is just like what happened to Priscilla in her Ogden City Council race. Holly says she's experienced that too. I remember one where this person said, you have no right to run for office. You belong at home with your kids. That was it. You have no right to run. I'm like, wow. Yes, I do. <laughs> you know. I love that attitude, Sonia. <laughs> I do too. We should all go into life with that kind of attitude. Damn right. <laughs> well, Holly is a Republican, and I think it's important to mention that most of the women in the state legislature are actually Democrats. That's right. The majority of Democratic lawmakers are women, but Republicans do way worse in this department. Only about 11 percent of GOP lawmakers are women. Some Republicans say this is because there aren't as many organizations, especially at the state level, focused on helping Republican women get into office. I will say that Holly says Real Women Run is for everyone. It's not a partisan thing. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, Holly is a Republican. So she actually told me she invites Republican women to get involved with Real Women Run. OK, well, Holly did make it into the legislature. But like we mentioned in our last episode, the legislature is part time, which means most lawmakers have other lives outside of it. Right. And for Holly, when she took office, she was a full time mom and she viewed it as her full time job. So Holly said during the 45 day legislative session, she basically had to put her life and work as a mother on hold. But for that time, you kind of suspend that part. <laughs> right. And you just say, OK, I'm going to see my kids on the weekend. I drove home. I live in Utah County, so it was about a 45-minute drive. And I would drive home every night and then up every morning. But it was kind of silly in the end because I would get home after my kids were asleep and I'd leave before they were awake. Well, that's certainly the case for lots of people in the legislature. It takes them away from spending time with their families and away from their other jobs. Yeah, but Holly says having a support system makes a really big difference in who's able to juggle all of this. You have to have a support team, right? And so my husband was a great support, but we also had a married son and daughter-in-law who lived at our home with us, and they helped get the younger kids, you know, off to school in the mornings because I was already gone, early morning meetings, right? Well, Emily, obviously not everyone has that kind of support system, right? Whether that's someone to help you out on your full-time job of being a mom or a boss at a job outside the home that lets your work schedule be flexible, that lets you take 45 days off every winter. Yeah, it's a big chunk of time, right? That brings us back to something that Holly said when I asked her who the legislature would be if it were just one person. She said he would probably be in real estate. Right. So when we look at the occupations of state lawmakers, you've got a lot of retirees, attorneys, people in education, and lots of those people are working part-time as like adjunct professors at universities, although there are some, you know, elementary, high school, yeah. middle school teachers. And like Holly said, lots of real estate. So the theme here is it's people who have flexibility in their schedules generally. What's Holly's advice for someone who might want to run for office who doesn't fit the mold? Holly says if we want a legislature that's more representative of the state's population, then people need to be more proactive about it. I would love to see active recruiting of women, women and other maybe marginalized communities. It's not just, well, you know, we've got an election coming up. Let's wait and see who applies. But that people are actually out there saying, if we go down to Blanding, 
who is it in Blanding that's politically active? Who is it that might be interested? Who maybe has been on the city council? Who has been in the PTA? Who's the mover and shaker in the community? Maybe they don't have political involvement yet. And going to recruit those people and say, look, you would be a really great legislator, and I'd love to help you. If you look at who holds elected office across the state, and honestly across the country too, it's a lot of the same kind of people. White men who have the flexibility in their careers and lives to go to city council meetings, to take 45 consecutive days off work, and several more throughout the year to serve in the legislature. And there are certain barriers that people who are different from them face. Barriers that have prevented people of color, people who aren't men, from running for office. Utah's demographics are changing, and there's a growing number of racial and ethnic minorities. And it's very clear that the breakdown of who is in public office hasn't kept up with those changes. Priscilla Martinez, who's running for Ogden City Council, she says that part of that is people who might run for office just don't see role models in public office. Because there isn't enough women and there isn't enough women of color in positions of leadership. It's hard to to put yourself in that situation. And when someone like Priscilla does step up to run, it shows that it can be done. There's the potential for a ripple effect after that. And, you know, at Priscilla's fundraising event, I ran into another young person of color who also has dreams about representing their community. Her name is Sharday Jones. She's a student at Weber State and wants to run for office someday. My goal is just to make sure that black and brown girls, especially black and brown students, know that they have a place in this in this political realm and just making sure that I can be an example for them to know that they, they can make a difference and a change. Next time, if running for office isn't your style, we'll talk about other ways you can get involved in politics. But for now, that does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. The team includes Caroline Ballard, Elaine Clark, Chelsea Naughton, Roddy Nickpore, and Palak J. Swall. State Street is a production of KUER. If you've been enjoying the show, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. We know that every podcast asks for this, but it really does help other people find the show. And we also send out a newsletter every week with plenty of musing about Utah politics. You can sign up for that newsletter at KUER.org slash State Street. Feel free to wander over during floor time if you have some time and welcome her to the body. She's going to be a great addition. I know that tape is only like 10 years old, but it sounds like it's from the 60s. <laughs> Things have really changed. I know. They've seriously upgraded their technology. They have. They have. Thank goodness for us, right? From KUER.